we're going to kind of hop right in to the the story today in in just a minute um but i the the interesting thing about what we're doing today is we often don't talk or we we haven't yet been talking about any why questions that Jesus asked. So for the last few weeks, we've been going through the questions that we find, and there's a lot of them. There's over 300 questions that Jesus asks in uh, the Gospels. But we've been kind of asking ourselves some of those key questions that Jesus asks and and exploring. Um, But today's the first why question uh, that Jesus asks. He asks a a big one, and we're going to get into why why that's uh, sometimes a complicated complicated field of questions to, to get into. But, uh, but in, in Matthew 7, Jesus is speaking and giving what his, is now referred to as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is the most concentrated set of teachings directly from Jesus that we have in the entire New Testament. And so it's pretty important uh, to, to us as Jesus followers that we hear the word that Jesus says. And, uh, and he, he kind of hops from one subject to another. And, uh, and the subject that we're going to talk about today is in regards to judging and judging others. All right. And, uh, and it's interesting because we, we tend to have two fields of, of thinking in our world right now. And there's so much, uh, I can't even get into this. There's so much dualism that exists where it's all one side or it's all the other. And so much of Christian faith and spirituality is moving beyond that that dualistic thinking. But right now we have kind of attitudes where on one side we, we have this world of like, hey, don't judge me. We love saying that phrase. Don't, don't judge me. You can't judge me. Um, you know, like, and behind that is I want to do whatever I want to do without any evaluation from anyone whatsoever. Like I should have the right to do anything. And on the other side, there's an attitude of, of such high criticism and critique that everywhere we look is an opportunity for us to pass judgment to give our opinion on somebody, something, what they're doing. And so we have these, these two ideas. And so Jesus actually kind of gives a third way of approaching um, the, <laughs> the pandemic that we might have on either side, which, which is its own disease um, if, if it takes root too much of no consequences for anything that I do, um, you know, no accountability in any way, or on the other side, a life that is so focused on other people's all right, we'll get to that. So here's what Jesus says in um, chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. First, Jesus says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Okay. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, um, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Really intense words from Jesus. Okay, and we have to remember that so many of the words of Jesus were, were being told to a group that included religious leaders listening in and often was, was where Jesus kind of tightened his intensity. But this is given to everybody. So, so Jesus says, listen, there's, there's a way that you could possibly look at other people. And somehow the way that you do that has a reciprocal factor. Now, Jesus does not get into the idea of who is doing the reverse judgment. You will be judged. He doesn't say, is this from God? If you, if you look at someone and pass judgment, and we'll talk about what that means in a minute, is, is it that God will pass judgment on you in the same way? Or is it that if you do this, you are creating a culture where other people will respond in kind? Because we often see that that's how the world works. Jesus leaves this intentionally vague, it appears, so that we might realize that there might be truth in both. 
so that we might take seriously what he's about to say. With the measure that you use, the way you look at the world, the way that you look at people will somehow come back toward you. It will have an impact on how the world or God looks at you. Now, we believe God's full of grace, so we we have to understand that Jesus is trying to push a point here. But, okay, so now let's get to the question, because this is where it gets really interesting. And the question is a why question. What Jesus says is, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all that time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. But the question is this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I don't know about you, but most of the time when a question starts with why in my world and in my life, Um, it's not actually seeking an answer because I'm a parent and because I look and say, why would blank, blank, blank happen all the time, right? Um, You know, we, we don't actually expect an answer for half of the why questions that many of us ask. Why would they do that, right? Why would you bring, you know, a cup of chocolate milk into the living room and then try to set it on the pillow, right? We were not actually asking a question that requires an answer, what we're trying to do is, is what we mean to make is a statement. And what that statement is, is this is a stupid thing to do and you should know better, right? That's the statement that we mean. When we say, why would you blah, 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 blah. What we mean to say is, this is a stupid thing to do and you should know better. And on some level, I think Jesus is doing the same thing here. I think Jesus is giving this image and saying, why do you look at this speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? And we'll look at the imagery in just a moment. Why would, you, why would you see this tiny little speck of sawdust? Here we go. There we go. There's the speck in your brother's eye. And all this time, right, there is a giant plank in your own eye. All right. So we've got, this is the image here. We've got, we've got Jesus trying to tell people, look out. You're trying to help someone else out, but you can't even reach them. You can't even reach their problem because your problem is so great and so broad that you can't even see clearly. It's, it's, it's not even, it's not even a comparison. All right. So Jesus is saying, listen, first of all, (laughs) flat out, this might be a stupid thing to do and you should know better. But secondly, there might actually be a valid reason for us to answer the question itself. When Jesus asks, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own? For us to actually be able to respond well, we might actually need to learn an answer to that question and, and take it more than just a rhetorical question from Jesus. I think there actually are answers. Why do we do this? Why is there such a temptation in us to focus on other people's shortcomings with our lives when we deep down know how many shortcomings we have personally? And I, I, think, I think the answer is, is just simply really tough. But I think the answer lies in the fact that it's, it's far easier to look out a window than it is to look into a mirror. Um, it's far easier for us to to look out at the world and notice things um, and, 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 and 
figure out what's wrong with everything there than it is to figure out the opposite. The world out there, out beyond our eyes, out our windows, around us, is far less complex than the world behind us. The world within our souls and spirits is infinitely more complex than, than the outer world. And it, it's, it's terrifying, if we're honest. So, so there's this temptation that we need to relieve the tension of our own mysterious souls and choices and habits. And so we deflect. We find someone that we can convince ourselves is uh, more sinful, more messed up, more deluded, more, more wrong. It helps us avoid self-reflection. If you feel like you've heard that somewhere before, um, this, this kind of attitude, um, oh God, thank you that I am not like these sinners, right? Is another story that Jesus tells of a man standing on the corner who's, um, who's a Pharisee, a leader who, who, who has, who's wealthy, he has enough, and he looks around and he sees people who are, who are suffering and who are struggling around him, and he says, God, thank you that I am not like these sinners. That story um, that Jesus tells in Luke 18 is a worthless prayer. If you've ever been told in your life that there are no bad prayers, you are, that's wrong. This is a bad prayer. Okay, and G at least according to Jesus, you can have your own opinion. Um, but, but this is not a valuable prayer, according to Jesus. It does nothing but exalt the person praying. And God, according to Jesus in Luke 18, God thinks nothing of a prayer like that. It was the humble man, the one who admitted his greatest weakness and his greatest need that God met in that moment. Looking at ourselves really honestly is incredibly painful. So we tend to avoid it at all costs. Yet there is a major cost. How much of how we behave toward other people out there is directly correlated to our own pain and our own past hurt? How much of our woundedness uh, do we transfer? It's a real question that we have to learn to ask ourselves. And, and we know that any, any pain that we have, any struggles that we have, any shame that we have, if it's not transformed, it will be transferred. Uh, many of us went through an eight-week study that we keep talking about because it was significant called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality in the Fall. And one of the big elements of that was, was the, the practice of learning to own our wounds, to own our habits, to own our shadows. Um, and, and that when we begin to do that, when we begin to bring them to the light, we let Jesus transform our pain. And, if it, and, and when that pain is transfor transformed, it will no longer be transferred onto other people. When we begin to own our pain, we stop weaponizing it. Because we're not acting out of shame anymore, but out of grace and self-awareness. Now this has broad, broad implications um, in our lives. If our pain and our struggles are not owned and they're not transformed, uh, they're, they're going to be passed on. And I, I just want to invite you to think about this for a minute. Think about this past season of life. Because during COVID, there has been so much, uh, so much pain, so much exhaustion for so many of us, right? Our schedules have changed. Our church rhythms have changed. Our jobs have changed and shifted. Our children's rhythms and their schooling has shifted. It's hard. It hurts. It's frustrating. But how many times have you been tempted to put all of that sadness, all of that frustration, all of that pain and, and unleash it on a scapegoat out there? How many times have, have you either said or thought, well, it's their fault. 
that that person, that thing, that issue, this situation, that's the reason that I'm I'm hurting. And here's here's the brutal here's the brutal challenge within all of that. There's usually a sliver of truth in that statement. You know, maybe we should say there's a speck. There's a speck of truth in that statement. Right? That, that, that part of the, the reason that we're frustrated is because of some external experience, person, thing, whatever. But what we end up doing is we clench our fists onto that speck and we hold on to it and we never become transformed to the likeness of Jesus. We need to be very, very, very careful, friends, to make sure that we are not using other people to bypass something that needs to be transformed in the deepest places within our own lives. That's what a spec complex is all about. A spec complex ignores the things that need to be changed in me and instead finds a scapegoat in somebody else. The wild image that Jesus uses here, it's meant to be ridiculous, right? But it has real meaning because consider consider walking around um, with, with a plank, right? It extends from your head out into the world and you can't see things, right? You can't see me. I can't see you right now. It extends and everywhere you turn, everywhere you turn with this plank, you end up hitting something or someone and you do a lot of damage when you don't realize that it's extending out from you. You can't see clearly and you don't know the damage that you're doing. And And when the time comes to say that things are not as they should be in the world, oh my goodness, it is far easier for us to want to try an amateur uh, surgery procedure, right, on other people than allow it to be done for yourself. Consider uh, uh, someone training in med school, and thank God they don't actually do this, but consider a, a professor saying, okay, I need two volunteers. One of you I need to lay down um, on, on the bed here, and the other one go get a scalpel. Which one are you going to volunteer to be, right? Most of us are going to immediately say, I'll go get the knife. <laughs> I'd much rather cut into somebody than be cut into myself, uh, right? Like, so, so these, are, these are important things to, to answer Jesus' question of why. Why is it so easy for us to dwell on other people's issues and get so bent out of shape? Well, it's just far easier than looking within. So how do we begin to move forward then is, is the question that Jesus begins to, to address, right? Um, so interestingly, um, <laughs> there's, there's something more about judgment that I didn't mention. When Jesus says, um, you know, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own? He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That word hypocrite, um, it means a, um, no pun intended here, it means a mask wearer um, in, in terms of a role play actor. Uh, but, but often we think about that as being someone fake. You're a hypocrite, you're being fake. There's definitely an element to that. But with how Jesus talks about judgment at the beginning, there's also this sense of you are acting as God. You are trying to play a role that only God can play. The role of judgment. Uh, and, and, and that is never the role that you are called to play. You are called to be someone who works together toward fullness and it starts within you. So how do we move forward um, in, in this journey of what Jesus says? First, remove the plank in your own eye. We have to learn how to ask better questions, friends. Uh, we have to learn to ask questions like, why am I feeling this way? What am I missing? 
What pushes my buttons the most and why? What truths are the hardest for me to hear? We have to learn how to, how to um, start looking into the mirror better by being willing to ask personal questions of reflection. And we do it with God and we do it with close friends, right? And it's incredible what begins to happen when we take that kind of posture that David had in Psalm 139. Search my heart, God. Know all of my, my struggles, my anxious thoughts, my shame. See what is within me that is problematic and lead me toward life. If we take that kind of attitude and character, um, then, then something beautiful begins to happen and we begin to notice without condemnation the things in our lives that are blocking us from seeing others clearly and from being able to love well. Um, and here's something really interesting about, uh, about internal critique. It's most helpful when it happens personally, like we just talked about, with those sorts of questions, and communally. And what I mean by communally is it, self-reflection is really helpful, or internal critique is really helpful for communication when we are willing to think about this in the tribes that we find ourselves in. Uh, let me explain it this way. Moving, moving toward being able to critique our own side, we all fall into different camps in different areas, right? I'm a Christian, right? Maybe you have political views. Maybe you have um, I, idealistic views about or, or some type of a philosophical whatever. Maybe you think, maybe you're um, in the homeschool movement or maybe you're um, in public school, whatever. And all of these things um, work together to create a tribalism of different sorts. But moving toward being able to critique our own side instead of primarily critiquing the other side, that's how communication gets opened up, right? There's nothing radical about looking out there and saying, those people out there, they're, here's what's wrong with them. But there is something radical about being able to say, you know what, I find myself in agreement or, or here with, with so, many, so many of these areas, but I think that we're getting it wrong here and here. I think, I think that this might be a blind spot for, for us, or here's where we missed the mark, or here's where I don't think this reflects Jesus, even though in other ways I think it does. When we can do that, we start to recognize that our stances are not always as obvious and black and white as we might want to think, but also um, we, we say that we are open to continue to change to continue to critique, to continue to be transformed. Studies have shown incredible doors opening to healing and to communication when differing viewpoints begin by sharing where they think their side might be missing it. Because it's an evidence of humility. Simply put. Interestingly, you know what set the Hebrew prophets apart from other contemporary religious prophets? Prophets at the time... Of, uh, of the Old Testament or, or the ancient Near Eastern cultures, prophets of a people group or um, a religious group, they would exist to cast curses on all those outsiders, on, on all the people. They would, they would call down, like the prophets of Baal, they would call down curses on, on everyone who was not as righteous as they were. But one of the really interesting things that sets the Hebrew prophets apart is that the Hebrew prophets spoke to their own people not in celebration of how great they were, but in critique of the areas that they were missing the mark, where they had mistreated the poor, where they had moved away into idolatry, uh, moved away to worship other gods, where they were not being faithful to keep the commands that God had given them, where they were not practicing compassion and justice in all sorts of different areas. Um, 
This is so fascinating. So, so they helped Israel look inward rather than just lobbing stones outward. Which, by the way, brings us to um, the story in John 8 of lobbing stones. And another incredible question that Jesus asks, uh, which is, has no one condemned you? And the story leading up to that, of course, is, is simply that um, a number of religious leaders, they, they find a woman that is caught in adultery and they drag her out. Um, and they ask Jesus, should we stone her? Because this is what the law says. And Jesus gives the famous statement, whoever's without sin cast the first stone. And then they eventually drop their stones and walk away. And Jesus sits there and he says to this woman, does no one condemn you? And she looks up and she says, no one. And he says, then neither do I. But then he tells her, go and sin no more. Right? So, so Jesus is never suggesting in all of this, um, this, this mentality, this new mentality that he's teaching his people, he's never suggesting that there is no judgment, right? He told her that, that something that she was doing was actually sin. It was, it was separating her from God's heart. That's making a judgment, and he sent her in a new direction. But that is far different than condemning. That is far different than an attitude that looks at someone and, and minimizes their humanity and condemns them. And, and you know, one of my favorite parts about that little story, it's a profound story, but one of my favorite parts is that right when the climax of the, of the drama is up there and, and we're not sure what's about to happen and if she's going to be stoned or not, Jesus, she's cowering, right? And Jesus bends down on the ground and he writes in the sand. We're not going to get into what he was writing, but that's a fascinating conversation too. But the point is that he makes himself the lowest one in the story. He brings, he brings all the negative attention that's on her. He brings it to himself and he places himself as the lowest one in the group. Philippians 3, or Philippians 2, 3 to 5. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus. And Paul goes on to say, who, who being in very nature, God didn't use that or exploit that, but, but chose to make himself a servant, even willing to die for the sake of faithfulness. That kind of radical upside down valuing of other people, that kind of humility that Jesus models over and over again, brings us to one of the wonderful results of plank awareness, if we get there. And that is restoration. Um, Something happens when we become plank aware, right? And, and again, that's a journey that many people are not willing to take. To say, truly search my heart, O oh God, where are my blind spots? Help me move forward. I want to know. I want to grow. But something happens when we become plank aware. You see, when we can't see our own plank, this is really important. This is probably the only, the only really important two minutes of this, this whole uh, message. When we can't see our own plank, we look at other people and their shortcomings, and their wrongdoings, and we want them to be punished for them when we can't see our own plank. When we can't see our own plank, we look around, and when we see people, there's something in us when we see their wrong, when we see their sin, when we see their struggle that makes us want them to be punished. But when we see our own plank, when we acknowledge it, then when we see those same people, what we want is for them to be well. Our view changes when we realize that we have planks. We want other people then to be restored rather than punished. That completely changes the nature of our interaction with other people, right? And it shifts um, how we may be prone to pass judgment and to condemn. 
like Jesus warned us against, right? We become people who care more about restorative justice than retributive justice. We know that we are all in need of wholeness and that this is what God specializes in. So our humility always leads to us recognizing another's humanity. Always. Our humility leads us to recognizing another's humanity. We realize that, oh my goodness, I'm in need of grace. I'm in need of of reconciliation. I'm in need of redemption. So when I look at you, what I primarily see is not how bad you are or how wrong or how much I disagree with X, Y, or Z. What I see is another sister or another brother who also has that need for redemption. And my goodness, am I glad that grace is available. It's available for me and it's available for you, friend. It changes how we understand our, our interactions completely. It's one of the deepest truths of the gospel, that seeing yourself truthfully changes how you see the world. You realize that you're both broken and you're both in need of grace and worthy, and worthy of grace, according to Jesus. So um, here's just, we we talked about kind of a whole bunch of stuff. Here's just three kind of bite-sized walkaways or takeaways that you can continue to reflect on. As, as we move into this world of wanting to be people who acknowledge the planks within us, within our own eyes, um, before we move to try to get specks out of others. Uh, and Melanie's going to type these in the, uh, the box because it's too many words um, for me to write on the board. So the first thing is that we have real work to do with Jesus on our own blind spots. We have real work to do with Jesus on our own blind spots. Okay? And what I mean by that, and and the two emphases when I say that we each have real work to do with Jesus on our own blind spots, I mean that the the word work and the word Jesus are primary there. (laughs) Like this takes effort. We have work to do to remove these planks and it's with Jesus. It's not alone, but, but it takes real effort. And if we're not willing to go through the effort of transformation and change, we will, we will continue to sit here struggling with things and being more tempted to be really hypercritical of everybody else, whether they're struggling with the same things or something different. That's one of the reasons that we want you to participate in this prayer study, because it's experiential. It's not just learning about prayer. It's learning to engage in a deeper way with Jesus. Um, so you've got to be honest with God and willing to do the work for this one. The second thing is that humility is at the heart of meaningful communication. Humility is at the heart of meaningful communication. The whole idea of plank removal, friends, is it's, it's not saying that we shouldn't be a part of restoring one another and getting those specks out. That, that's the beautiful thing. In, in real community, we will be speck removers. Um, but that has to be done with such an incredible, incredible posture of humility because the way that we judge others will be indeed come back to, toward us. Um, but also because we've, we've been people who have been transformed. So humility is at the heart of meaningful conversation. We cannot talk and encourage one another to become more like Jesus if we are not so incredibly humble that we realize we have such a long way to go to. We have to be willing to ask forgiveness We have to be willing to acknowledge mistakes. We have to be willing to to have um, conversations where where we want to be accountable to others for habits that we fall into, ways of thinking about people that we fall into. 
And when humility is at the heart of things, meaningful communication can absolutely thrive. It can explode, even between people with vastly different life experiences and different viewpoints. Beautiful. But humility has to be the core. And then finally, um, in all things, we err on the side of grace. So that's our, that's our third kind of walk away. In all things, we err on the side of grace. And the reason is because we are taught to judge in the same spirit that God judges us. <laughs> and God judges us full of the grace of Christ leading the way. Well, that's what we're told over and over. You know, um, in all things, we err on the side of grace because that's how God errs with us. And yeah, you say, well, God doesn't err. I get it. You know, God's perfect. And that's absolutely true. But God chooses the side of grace when God looks at us. So we walk through life freed to choose the side of grace when we look at other people. Doesn't mean we ignore things. It doesn't mean that we never make, per, make um, decisions about what we believe to be true and good and best. Those are judgments too, but it's the judgment that leads to condemnation, the judgment that leads to dehumanizing somebody or deciding that they have nothing to offer. That is what is so damaging. So those are the three things. We each have real work to do with Jesus on our own blind spots. Humility is at the heart of meaningful communication, and in all things we err on the side of grace. Um, when we move into those things, when we embody this, when we, when we look and we take Jesus seriously, to say, first, let me remove my speck. We get to the point that I think embodies um, the words of Peter in 1 Peter 4, 8, when he says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. When we do this really well, uh, we, we get to the point where, where if we love each other well, then mistakes, struggles, those things are covered in some type of almost a protective way. Um, by, by the love, that the love overpowers those, those, if sin separates, love comes back and heals in community, where there is real love that's present. And that's the kind of love that's humble, that's consistent, that's not easily angered, that's not prideful, love that's gentle. When that exists, there can be all this incredible soul surgery that can happen on ourselves and on one another out of love and care. So both specks and planks can be easily removed with minimal damage to the body so that health and vision can be restored and we can have eyes that are no longer clouded, right? Eyes that can see Jesus more clearly and the world around us more clearly and people without hindrance. That is possible. We have to believe it. So Jesus says, why? Why do you live in this way? where you ignore the things that need to be dealt with in your life and you focus on the things that you don't like about another, that you disagree with about another. Instead, first do the work within you and you will find that you become some person that is so full of grace and so full of love and a critical spirit will never be used to define you or to describe you by others because you will see people as I do. That's beautiful. All right, but it's easier said than done. It takes a ton of humility, friends. So let's keep at it, okay? Uh, let's pray, and then uh, we'll break out into groups for five minutes uh, for anything that God is stirring about uh, what we talked about here. Jesus, uh, we acknowledge that this is, is tough and that it's easy to slip into habits of critique and um, judgment in the way that you tell us not to. 
we know this is complicated, but I, I pray that you protect us from kind of the uh, the temptation to try to rationalize our critical spirits and say, well, yes, ours is different, that this is deserved. Um, we know that there are times to offer critique in the world and that we need to have voices of faithfulness. But please, Lord, please help us do this internal journey first so that we might not do any damage and that we not might not um, be people who... Uh, who make harsh judgmentalism easier in the world because we've added to it. Help us to be a third way, different culture because of you. In the strong name of Jesus, uh, the church prays, amen.